Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome everyone to episode 28 of True Blue, True Crime. My name's Sean and with me as always is my co-host Chloe. How are you? Hi, good, good, ready to get into it. Yeah, we're back after a week off, all refreshed and rejuvenated hopefully. Although Brian in our Facebook group pointed out that we'd taken the week off and that we should do two episodes (laughs) per week moving forward, which... That's very kind that he wanted to hear us that often, but it also nearly gave me an embolism of some kind. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want an extra job and then an extra job? No, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) But we're very lucky to have some more Patreon uh, supporters this week, Chloe. We are. Thank you and welcome to Mike Hussey, Christina Marsarella, Ali J, BSL23, Brian Batten, Jill Ostro, Anne Bailey and Glenn Roberts. Thanks for the support, everyone. And it'd only take a very small percentage of listeners, maybe one or two percent, to sign up to Patreon. And we probably could do those (laughs) two episodes a week, Chloe, as Brian suggested. So stick around till the end and hear more about what's happening on Patreon and how to sign up. And we have some other exciting news at the end of the episode too. So stick around to hear about that. Listeners, today's case contains distressing content of crimes against children. Please exercise self-care before listening. Today we're talking about a missing persons case from 2011 that shocked the nation and struck fear into the community in the outer eastern Melbourne suburb of Baronia. Between 2008 and 2015 in Australia, there were over 305,000 people reported missing in the country. This is an average of about 38,000 reports per annum. Young people aged between 13 and 17 accounted for half of these reports. 98% of missing persons are located and most of them are found alive. We know from statistics that a lot of people choose to go missing of their own accord. But what are some of the reasons these people go missing, Chloe? The most common are relationship and or family breakdowns, financial and general life stresses, domestic violence occurrences, and mental illness and suicidal thoughts. One of the rarest reasons is abduction, and stranger abduction is an even more isolated occurrence again. But it's the most terrifying, particularly when we're talking about children. 
and especially when they're plucked off a safe suburban street while walking to school in broad daylight. Thursday the 2nd of June, 2011, at approximately 8.25am. 13-year-old Sarah Corn Siraboon, or Bung as she's commonly known, had breakfast with her mum, Benita, and her older sister, Pang, as she did every morning. Her stepfather, Fred, had just returned home from night shift and greeted his family before commencing some banking on the computer. Bung finished her breakfast and said goodbye to her family and left her home in Elsie Street, Baronia, to walk to school. Baronia, an outer suburb around 45 minutes east of Melbourne, is nestled at the foot of the Dandenong Mountain Range. It's on the metropolitan rural fringe, and while it has its share of petty crime, often associated anecdotally with illicit drugs, it is by and large a slightly more affordable but safe residential area, with native tree-lined streets, magpies fending off noisy minor birds, and rambling weatherboard and orange brick homes. Bung walked to school down these very streets, as she and many other students did every day. She was wearing her blue and white check school uniform and her dark blue zip front school jacket and carrying a backpack. She was seen by a neighbour a short time later in Elsie Street, walking towards Albert Avenue. But Bung didn't arrive at school that day or return home thereafter. By 4.30pm, Bung's mum, Vanita, and stepfather, Fred, were beyond concerned and reported her missing to the police. Somewhere during the 700-metre walk to Baronia Heights College, Bung Siraboon had vanished and she hasn't been seen or heard from since. Bung Siraboon was born in 1997 and she grew up with her mother Vanita and her older sister Siraborn, who goes by the nickname Pang, in the Ubon Ratchathani province, which is in the northeastern part of Thailand. This region is not a popular tourist destination in Thailand and the province attracts more independent travellers who yearn to explore off the beaten track. It's described as having more of a relaxed country town feeling with residents who display a genuine care and kindness to others. It's known to hold strong Buddhist traditions within its community. In the mid-2000s, when this tale takes place, Ubon had a population of around 200,000 people. When Bung and Pang were very little, their parents' marriage broke up. Subsequently, their father has been described as being very absent for most of their lives, there is very little known about the man. In 2004, Vanita, Bung and Pang left Thailand and jet-setted to Melbourne, Australia, for a holiday. While on their holiday, Vanita met an Australian man named Fred Patterson, who lived in Melbourne, and she was impressed with his knowledge of the Thai language. The pair kept in contact after Vanita returned to Thailand with her girls. 
Fred was an electrical fitter at Carlton and United Breweries. Carlton and United Breweries, for those who don't know, produced several of Australia's most successful alcoholic beverages, including one of the highest-selling beers on the Australian market, Victoria Bitter. When Fred wasn't working, he would immerse himself in the Asian culture with a particular interest in Buddhism and martial arts. Fred had a generous amount of long service leave up his sleeve at the time and decided to explore some of the cultural customs of Asia that he was so intrigued by, and he visited Thailand in the mid-1990s. It would be the first of several visits to the country, and the reason he was so well-versed in the Thai language when he and Vanita met years later. Fred fell in love with the Thai culture, and eventually, in the years that followed after their meeting, he'd fall in love with Vanita too, their affections for each other blossoming into a romance in 2006. Around this time, Fred moved to Thailand for a while to be with Vanita, Pang and Bung. Fred's nickname for Vanita is Nid, so we'll refer to her as such from this point. Bung and Pang loved living with Fred and quickly embraced him as a father figure in their lives, something they had never really had before. Soon Fred and Nid married and they set up a business in Thailand making awnings. They had a mortgage on a home and some land, but unfortunately their business wasn't successful. Under financial constraints, Fred returned to Australia seeking more financially viable employment, and he soon got a job working as a fitter at Cadbury. Fred seemed to have a bit of a knack in finding highly successful employers like Carlton United Breweries and now Cadbury, which probably doesn't need as much explanation as Carlton Brewery, but Cadbury is a highly successful chocolate brand which started in England and has a large presence here in Australia and in other countries. Most of us probably have some Cadbury in the fridge right now. So Fred was once again working his previous trade as an electrical fitter. In 2008, Bung was 10 and Pang was 17. The two sisters and Nid soon joined Fred and migrated to live with him in Australia. Fred and Nid later spoke about the reasons for the family moving to Australia being for a better life, a better future, and a better education for Pang and Bung. They wanted to give their daughters as many opportunities as possible. Fred and Nid always aspired to return to Thailand, with the long-term ambition of living there again in the retirement chapter of their lives. But the priority at the time, in 2008, was the girls' education and to pay off debts the family had accrued with their failed business venture. The family moved to Elsie Street in the suburb of Baronia in Victoria. Fred really warmed to the area and thought it an ideal location for the family, being close to the serene Dandenong Ranges, and Fred liked the proximity of the location being a 90-minute bus drive away from where he grew up in Queenscliff. Baronia is a working-class suburb near the picturesque Dandenong Ranges, It's not always picturesque in itself. It has its share of crime, as we said in the introduction, mostly petty crime, thefts, and illicit drug activity. On the flip side, and I think Justine Ford sums this up pretty well in her book Missing You when she describes the suburb, Baronia is home to scores of grand old weatherboards, winding native tree-lined streets, and more magpies than a Collingwood grand final. By all accounts, Fred and Nid were peaceful, spiritual people who didn't associate with the drug scene or any other known criminal avenues. They saw in Baronia's cheaper real estate a house they could make an oasis for their girls to help them be financially independent again 
and a school close by for Bung to walk to easily. Bung and Pang soon settled in well and called Baronia home and embraced their new life. Initially, the two spoke very little English. Pang went to an adult education college to learn English and to complete the equivalent of year 11 and 12 schooling in Victoria and received her Victorian Certificate of Education. Bung first participated in an intensive English course and then attended her local primary school. Fred and Nid turned the front yard of their property into an oasis with a swing for the girls to enjoy and installed a pond and a number of flower beds. Fred would later describe his home as a pretty normal, happy family. Nid started working part-time, mostly dropping advertising materials in local letterboxes. Bung was doing well academically and socially at school, and the family would go on beach outings often in Port Arlington, where Fred's mother lived, and they went on some trips back to Thailand together when they had holidays. Bung started her Australian education at Baronia Primary School, beginning in Year 4. The fellow student who sat next to her during class at this time was called Diami Hillard. Diami would later reflect on her first meeting with Bung. I really wanted to get to know her, but I think she found me annoying at first. Bung put a ruler down the middle of the desk so I couldn't cross over to her side. Diami explained that Bung would be very shy with new people, but outgoing once a rapport was built. Diami spoke of the strong and ethical person Bung was and how loyal she was to her friends. I was bullied a lot and she was the only one who stood up for me. Diami and Bung would move up to high school education together and would regularly meet at a little park on the way to school and they'd often visit each other's houses. At Diami's house, they would watch TV and play with her dogs. At Bung's house one time, she introduced Diami to spicy noodles. Bung did very well at maths at school, but her true passions were dancing, singing and drama. Bung's musical idol was Justin Bieber, and she also really enjoyed K-pop, a South Korean style of music. Layla Preston was another close friend of Bung's in high school. Layla, Bung and Diami were busy rehearsing for a Rocker Steadford competition. Layla reflected that every morning she and Bung would meet at the bottom of a flight of stairs leading to the junior school section and work on dance choreography and swap music. Bung was described by friends as an easygoing and open-minded person. She loved the sea and the sand and seemed to embrace the many different avenues one can explore in life. Fred described Bung as a girl who showed her emotions and was attuned to other people's feelings, a kind spirit that naturally wanted to help people in need. He said she and her mother sometimes had arguments about washing the dishes and typical teenage things, but that she loved her mother very much. Fred didn't describe Bung as being very streetwise, but said that she was an older soul and very independent, and that if she didn't like someone, it would be pretty obvious to them. Bung had three Facebook accounts. One was old and she didn't use it anymore, one was in Thai for her Thai friends, and one was in English. And as far as Fred and Nid knew, she didn't have a boyfriend. Bung was a homebody. She would prefer to come home after socialising rather than staying overnight at a friend's house. That's why, when she didn't return home after school one day, the alarm bells began to ring for Nid and Fred. Do you 
you get mad when listening to true crime? Well, so do I. If you want a weekly true crime podcast that says what you're thinking, then grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is Cambo from True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, and maintain the rage with me. Visit truecrimeisland.com where you can download or stream each episode. Plus, there's links to iTunes and social media. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. This is True Crime Island. On June the 2nd, 2011, Bung was seen off by her parents as she left the family home in Elsie Street in her school uniform, heading off to school as normal. We covered much of this in detail in the introduction. Bung was within about 130 metres of her high school, walking along Harcourt Road, turning into Monco Street, when she vanished without a trace. It was raining that morning, Bung's friend Diami was driven to school by her mother, and Diami's mother stopped the car at the little park she and Bung regularly met at and noticed that Bung was uncharacteristically not there. Concern for Bung's welfare increased when her friend Layla noticed that she was absent for roll call at school that morning. Bung's seat was empty. Layla said to herself, that's weird, Bung's always here. Bung was described by her teachers as always being a very diligent and reliable student. Teachers, at this point, did not express concern. There were assumptions among the teachers that Bung was sick on this day and wouldn't attend school. No alarm bells were ringing, and Bung's parents were not contacted. On the flip side, Bung's parents had no reason to think that she wasn't at school. The school day concluded and Nid expected Bung home around 3.40pm. Bung was always home on time. At 4pm, Nid grew concerned that Bung didn't arrive home. Then the phone rang. Fred answered and this call would soon strike panic and concern for Fred and Nid. The army rang and said, uh, tell Bung that we've got football or something tomorrow. And I said, why didn't you tell her at school? And she said she didn't show up, wasn't at school today. So that's when the penny dropped, that's when it started to panic. I basically told them that daughter was missing. Felt really responsible for a lot of years. She said, Goodbye to mum, goodbye, see you later, see you after school. There was no, no hint of anything being wrong. A normal school day. She'd never not come home and never not called, so it was pretty quick that we were pretty worried. Immediately following this call from Diami, Fred and Nid drove straight to Bung's school, Baronia Heights College. Principal Kate Harnetty confirmed to the anxious parents that Bung was absent from school. At 4.20pm, Fred and Nid attended Knocked Police Station, where they gave a statement to officers. On the strong advice of the police, Fred and Nid were instructed to speak to all of their family and friends. They started this process immediately. Bung's movements could not be traced, unfortunately, with her mobile phone, as it had been left at home. This factor was not out of the ordinary, though. The army gave Fred and Nid all the contacts she could think of, Diami was stressed and scared and crying for her missing friend. Fred and Nid phoned and visited all of Bung's friends, but no one had information on her whereabouts. Members of the school community were very anxious and concerned for Bung's welfare and helped Bung's distraught parents by calling around the people they thought may be able to assist. As the 2nd of June rolled into the 3rd of June, 
A sleepless Nid and Fred were back at Knox Police Station. They were surviving on pure adrenaline, desperately searching for their missing daughter. They looked everywhere in the community for bung, such as backyards, vacant blocks, parks and shops. In addition to this, posters were plastered around lampposts, bus stops, the train station and the local Baronia Mall. By Monday the 6th of June, Bung had been missing for four days now and Knox detectives were working on the case intently. However, soon the homicide squad took over the investigation into Bung's disappearance. In relation to the homicide squad taking over the investigation, Bung's family were assured that the reason for this was that the squad was well-resourced and it wasn't to do with the detectives assuming the worst of scenarios for Bung's welfare. Task Force Puma was created by the authorities to follow all leads and lines of inquiry into Bung's disappearance. Detectives looked through Bung's social media accounts with a fine-tooth comb and did not retrieve any concerning or suspicious leads in relation to Bung meeting anyone online. As we mentioned before, she did have a few online accounts and it was suggested by some that Bung may have been leading a double life of sorts. However, as Detective Senior Constable Justin Tippett explained, that was a beat-up. We mentioned the reasoning for her multiple accounts earlier and detectives found nothing online that was suspicious or connected to her disappearance. Inquiries were made into Bung's estranged biological father in Thailand, but there was nothing suspicious to be found or further investigated with him either. Detectives investigated Bung's school and home life, looking closely and checking if Bung had any incidents with anyone, but she was described as being her usual sunny self. She was characterised as not the type of girl that would run away, a young girl who was happy in her home and school life with close friends that she cared about. Fred was investigated intently, but he was an open book and conceded that he had to go through that for the investigation to try and find Bung. He was very understanding of it, being a methodology of exclusion and the police working from the family outwards. We see this a lot in these types of investigations. Bung's Baronia family home was searched from top to bottom and even under the house, as someone anonymously reported that Fred had been digging under it. Nothing came up in any of these searches. Fred took leave from his job. As days passed, Fred later recalled that he didn't remember he or Nid eating for the first week Bung went missing at all. Fred was absolutely devastated about Bung's disappearance, but remained strong for his wife and other daughter Pang. Fred would describe the feeling at the time as like he was walking around in circles trying to work out where Bung was. The community banded together, organising search parties for Bung, checking in on her family, bringing them food, and creating Facebook groups with the hope of finding Bung and getting any information possible out there. A missing persons case, especially one involving a missing child, rightly brings with it a lot of media attention, and TV crews were everywhere, reporters chasing the family down the street and even camping outside of their house. More weeks passed with deafening silence on Bung's whereabouts, and soon it had been a month that Bung had been missing. Fred now went back to his job at the factory. Nid, meanwhile, was beside herself with anxiety and despair. Fred was working night shifts and Nid hated being home alone and couldn't cope living in Baronia anymore where this horror had affected her family. As a result, for her own well-being, 
Nid returned to Thailand to help distract her mind, to be with her friends and family and sought spiritual support in the temples of Thailand. Bung's disappearance struck fear into the students and families associated with Baronia Heights High School. Children were now being escorted to school by their parents or driven to school out of fear that their child could be the next victim of what was appearing to be a likely abduction. Detectives door-knocked hundreds of homes around Baronia and suburbs and districts surrounding it, inquiring about Bung. Delivery drivers and tradesmen were investigated and consulted if they had passed through Baronia on the day of her disappearance. Security footage was meticulously combed through from train stations, service stations, retail outlets and shopping centres. More than 1,000 pieces of information were given by the public to police at the time of Bung's disappearance. Nothing to any avail, unfortunately. Detectives spoke with numerous sex offenders in the area. A tip-off had been given to police that a young Asian girl was spotted at a nearby brothel. Several brothels were checked following this information, with no evidence being obtained. Some members of the police force, while still actively investigating, had surmised that Bung had been lured or forced into an unknown vehicle. Several people were in the area that Bung had disappeared between home and school. It was broad daylight. This puzzled police how she could be so easily snatched and taken away in a car, as some had theorised. There were two sightings by neighbours of Bung on the morning of her disappearance as she walked to school. Neither verified 100%, but the first one was a bit more solid. The first was at 8.30am, not far from her home, and the second, which was largely discounted, was at 8.55am, and this was closer to the high school. And I think the reason this second one wasn't as firm was because it was only a 10-minute walk from Bung's house to the school, so it was almost half an hour since she'd left home, this second sighting. So after all of the inquiries they'd made, all of the possibilities police were able to exclude, the only real scenario left was abduction. And some subsequent sightings and events after this would further lend itself to this theory. There were a couple of reports given to police with very specific details, claiming alleged sightings of Bung on that fateful day on June 2, 2011. One was a sighting of an Asian girl looking out of a back window of a white EA or EF Ford Falcon station wagon. The driver was described as a man who was Caucasian in his mid-50s or 60s with slicked back hair, rock and roll style, wearing a blue singlet. This guy was driving east along Baronia Road through the roundabout at Albert Road. Then again, he was seen at the set of lights nearby to Dorset Road. The second was of an Asian girl apparently seen being in the front seat of a white 71-73 Holden HQ Kingswood station wagon with no rear seats, which may have been folded down. The alleged driver of this vehicle was again Caucasian, but he had a large tattoo on the left side of his neck and sleeve-style tattoos on both arms, but was described as being in his late 30s or early 40s. This was on Napoleon Road in Roeville between 8.45 and 9am, the day she disappeared. So Roeville's not too far away, it's possible within this time frame, but nothing came from either of these leads. About three weeks after Bung's disappearance and presumed abduction, There was a report of a 16-year-old Caucasian girl who had escaped an attempted kidnapping, 15 minutes' drive away from Baronia in Ringwood East. 
This girl was walking along Bedford Road when she spotted an old, light blue car parked on the roadside. There was a man sitting inside the car and he beckoned her to get in the vehicle with him, but she kept walking. This creep then drove ahead of her, jumped out of the car and grabbed her by the arm. But she wasn't having it and managed to fend him off, seeking refuge in some nearby bushes until the man eventually drove away. She described this attacker as aged 50 or 60, with grey hair and of southern European appearance, and with poor teeth. So this report obviously sent shockwaves across the community, as it appeared it could be linked with Bung's case, and that there was potentially a predator lurking in Melbourne's eastern suburbs. This hysteria would only heighten when just one week later, another Baronia schoolgirl made a claim of an attempted abduction. She said when she was on her way to school, walking along Bennett Street in Baronia, she was approached by a man wearing a white surgical mask who tried to lure her into his vehicle. She described the man as Caucasian in his 60s with grey hair driving a green station wagon. A lot of station wagons going on here. So this obviously got a huge amount of media attention and fear streamed through the community, thinking that a child abductor was on the loose, snatching kids off the street. This young girl was of Asian appearance too. But the 11-year-old girl soon admitted later, however, that she made this whole thing up. And this understandably angered many people within the community and would have undoubtedly distressed Bung's family too. But the first claim was still deemed to be legitimate. However, it provided no leads or links to Bung's case, unfortunately. But after this time, when police continued investigating, there were no new leads, no suspects and no more information coming from inquiries or the general public. Things turned somewhat cold until 2013, when a young 24-year-old man made a confession to police that he hit Bung with his car on the day she went missing. He said he panicked as he had killed Bung and subsequently buried her at a local reserve. This person was arrested twice and questioned twice. Police searched the Old Joe's Creek Reserve with an excavator and a bobcat. This was some 22,000 square metres, this area, but it was all to no avail. The man was released with police stating that parts of his story did not add up and there was nothing forensically on either his vehicle or the roadway that confirmed what he was saying. It was also intimated in some of the articles I read that this guy may have had some mental health issues. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Another line of inquiry into Bung's disappearance the police looked into is a notorious pedophile and child killer nicknamed Mr. Cruel. This guy was an unidentified perpetrator who committed a series of crimes against children in Victoria. Mr. Cruel is alleged to have murdered Carmen Chan, 
and police believed that Mr. Krull had terrorised up to 12 children and their families, although only three other abductions and sexual assaults were officially linked to the offender. When Bung went missing, police looked for ties to Mr. Krull, how her disappearance may have met his MO, but ruled it unlikely that Mr. Krull was involved. For starters, Mr. Krull had been active from 87 to 91, so some 20 years had passed since then. And the MO wasn't the same. Krull had performed home invasions at night, hadn't snatched children from the street, and he went to great lengths to conceal his identity by leaving no forensic traces of his crimes. We'll talk more about this POS someday, but for now, despite many people hypothesising that Victoria's own boogeyman was responsible for Bung's abduction, it appeared unlikely. At least, that was police's stance. But this next person of interest, while not as high profile as Mr Krull, may have more plausible links. And this criminal's name was Robert Keith Knight. He was, in fact, one of Task Force Puma's top suspects in Bung's disappearance. Knight was an opportunistic pedophile and registered sex offender with a sordid and violent history which involved kidnapping and raping young schoolgirls. He had spent 15 years in jail for these crimes prior to Bung's disappearance. Knight had easy access to children before he was charged with these crimes as he was a former scout and youth leader. On the 11th of March 2009, Knight was released from prison and moved into Ferntree Gully, which is only three kilometres away from Baronia. Knight, a criminal described as never showing a shred of remorse and being an outright sociopath, began offending a mere six days after his release from prison. Knight's known crimes began in 1980 when he kidnapped a young girl who was walking near her family home at Sorrento Beach. He put a bag over the innocent girl's head and put her in his car. He took her to a location where he took explicit photos of her before dropping her back near her home, giving her $2 and telling her not to look back. This crime was denied by Knight when he was interviewed by police, but he admitted his guilt to his third wife, who luckily went straight to the police with this information. In 1996, Knight held a knife to a 12-year-old girl's throat as she was walking home from school in Blair Gowry and repeating his cruel method of offending put a bag over her head and pushed her into his four-wheel drive, kidnapping her. Knight's actions this time were increasingly more violent and gruesome as he gave in to his sadistic sexual urges. This poor young girl was taken to a house by Knight and subjected to 18 hours of horror, being drugged, forced to wear lingerie and repeatedly raped and assaulted. Knight videotaped his disgusting crimes He then released the terrified girl at a high school, gave her $5, and like his previous victim a decade prior, told her not to look back. Knight eventually pleaded guilty to his vile crimes and was convicted. He was sentenced to serve 15 years with a non-parole period of 11 and a half years. Knight's victims were traumatised in different ways by his crimes. One victim needed intensive counselling for several years. Another victim, who was instrumental with her information in getting Knight arrested and then convicted, by remembering the first three digits of the number plate of his car at the time of her attack, says she still remembers those three digits and is always on the lookout for Knight's car. Unlike the Mr. Krull line of inquiry, Bung's disappearance fit Knight's MO perfectly. Knight was living within the community, adjacent to the area where Bung was last seen and had kidnapped girls of a similar age to Bung. 
but Knight seemingly had a rock-solid alibi at the time of Bung's disappearance. However, Task Force Puma discredited this alibi upon re-examining all the available evidence. On the 19th of October 2012, Knight was arrested and charged after being in possession of over 9,500 child abuse images. In mid-2013, Knight was being held in the Melbourne Remand Centre and he would soon face court in relation to the possession of the aforementioned images. He had refused to leave his cell several times for numerous court appearances. But Knight ultimately died by suicide by jumping from the upper tier of his prison unit. When police were interviewed by the Herald Sun, they confirmed Knight was no longer a suspect in relation to Bung's disappearance. I'm not sure why, apparently he was ruled out before his death, but it would be interesting to know how he was eliminated as a suspect in Bung's case, because on paper, he's quite a viable suspect. One thing that hasn't been ruled out though is the possibility that Knight was Mr. Krull. Again, we'll explore that another day. As he pertains to Bung's case, according to police, he's not a suspect anymore. By the end of 2013, with no suspects, promising leads or information leading to Bung's whereabouts, or knowledge of her fate, sadly, Task Force Puma was disbanded. In 2014, a $1 million reward was offered and is still on offer, along with indemnity from prosecution for information to assist the investigation, but detectives are not any closer to solving this case. When interviewed in 2017, Fred and Ned were reported as saying they were certain Bung was still alive. Both Fred and Ned are devout Buddhists, and over the years they have consulted hundreds of monks and mediums, and they say that every one of them has told them that Bung had not passed over. Some of Bung's friends, like her devastated mother, had to leave the Baronia area, as it was too much emotionally for those close to her. Diami had reporters following her all the time to her home, and police stopping by regularly, She was overwhelmed by all the missing persons posters of Bung all around the area and decided to live in Byron Bay in New South Wales for a while with her father. Several students started attending counselling sessions. Another friend of Bung's had to move schools for her own mental health and well-being after the devastating event. At this point, we have some audio clips from some of Bung's dear school friends. It's now been eight years since she was reported missing. Maybe it was a complete stranger... Maybe she trusted this person and and look what happened. She's still not here with us eight years later. It is always that question, why her? And, like, why hasn't someone come forward? It's just, that's the only question you have is why. It's a day that still haunts some of her best friends. Taylor, Layla, Kira and Abby were all Year 7 classmates with Bung at Baronia Heights College in Melbourne's leafy east. I remember the day sitting in class and they did call out her name and there was no answer. A chilling silence the girls will never forget. Taylor and Abby, who are now both 20 years old, used to walk to school with Bung most days. But Thursday the 2nd of June in 2011 was different. Bung was by herself. I remember it clear as day, walking with my brother, you know, uh, and he, he asked if I wanted to and I don't know why, but I said no. It seems that you both sort of knock knock yourself around about it, though. Yeah, I think it'll forever haunt us. She'll always be my best friend, and I 
to someone that I cherish forever and it's just so special. She was starting to enjoy life, especially getting to the, the high school, which was a, another step. Getting, you know, first year of high school, football, you know, boys, bands. She was into, you know, lots of music and things like that. It's such a special time in your life and you grow so much and, like, she just didn't get that. You can really hear the devastation in her friends' voices and the anxiety and guilt of not knowing what has happened to her. You can hear that there is a camaraderie and relentless support for Bung by her friends, several of whom got matching tattoos on their arms, showing an everlasting love for Bung. Several of her friends wonder what they could have done differently and are genuinely distressed about what could have happened to her over this horrific eight years of disappearance. We have a link to the current affair video in the show notes where these clips are from. It is sad to watch the footage and appears especially isolating, as the friends, now young adults, walk on their old school grounds, the school now demolished and the area merely vacant land. It really does show a sad passage of time since Bung's disappearance. Missing person cases affect so many people in so many different ways. Every missing person case is traumatic. It affects not just those nearest and dearest to the person who's gone missing, but the community and the country as well. Missing person cases involving children are especially distressing. We don't forget missing persons as a nation. We covered the disappearance of the Beaumont children in an earlier episode. The children disappeared in early 1966. Just recently, Nancy Beaumont passed away with no answers as to what happened to her three beautiful children. Our thoughts go out to Vanita, Pang and Fred, and indeed all of Bung's friends, for what they have had to endure since she disappeared. Bung Siraboon has been missing since Thursday, June the 2nd, 2011. She was last seen in Baronia. She'd be 21 years old now. She stands at about 154 centimetres tall, a thin build with uh, long black hair, brown eyes, an olive complexion, and she's of Thai ethnicity. There's still currently a $1 million reward on offer for information leading to a resolution in this case. We'll post a map of the area and sightings of Bung on the date she went missing. If anyone has any information relating to Bung's whereabouts or what might have happened to her, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000 or report online at crimestoppers.com.au anonymously if you wish. As we mentioned at the start of this episode, each year more than 38,000 people are reported missing. And to add to that, Almost 95% of them are found within a week. The 5%, though, accounts for around 2,000 people in Australia. It's so hard to think that there are 2,000 missing people, 2,000 families living with this kind of grief, and 2,000 parts of communities holding out hope for some answers. As I've said before, missing persons cases are really sad and so hard to think about because of what the family has to live with after the fact. To go on for even a day not knowing where your daughter is or what happened to them would be an absolute nightmare. I feel so much for her family. We tell these stories, I guess, as hard as they are because maybe one day it might trigger a memory in someone that might lead to someone remembering something or reporting something that could help. I really hope so anyway. And that's pretty much my thoughts on this. Yours? Yeah, there's not much to add, to be honest. I really feel for Nid, Pang and Fred and the 
effect Bung's disappearance has had on them and their lives and their relationships. I know Nid has returned to Thailand and Fred is still in the house, the same house in Baronia. They uh, both came across as very genuine people. Ambiguous loss of a loved one like this, I think, would be the most difficult thing to deal with because there's no closure or grieving process. It's kind of this numbing, unknown thing that just goes on and on. I hope one day there's an answer to this one. This was a big case in our area. You know, it was widely reported at the time and even still now there's articles and news stories about Bung's disappearance on the anniversary. I didn't see anything about this in the research, but I recall a story a few years back when a female was discovered either hiding or trapped in a house in the Baronia region. And she was of Asian appearance, I recall, and there was a buzz around that it could have been Bung. It wasn't, and I'm not sure uh, what the end result was, if it was even a crime at the end of the day, but it just shows how her disappearance affected not just the local community in the Outer East, but the broader Victorian public too. Very sad. Yeah, it is. So that's that case done. I definitely need happy thoughts after that because I feel sad. Um, So mine is that my husband is doing the Melbourne Marathon this weekend, so He's going to run 42-something kilometres on Sunday. That makes me feel sick just thinking about it. (laughs) He's been training super hard since the start of the year, training every weekend, a couple of times a week. He's clocking, you know, 60, 70 k's a week of running and he's going to do it and he's going to be awesome at it. This will come out when it's done, which is crazy. Um, But I think he's going to get close to four hours. He doesn't want me to say that because... He doesn't want to put too much pressure on himself, but I'm going to say it here because he once he hears it, <laughs> yeah, it, he'll have he's achieved done it. it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly yeah. So I'm so excited for him and I'm so proud of him, all the training he's done and everything he's put into it. That's oh. my happy thought. Yeah, awesome. That's very exciting. I'm sure he will nail it. My happy thought is podcast related. It's actually for any uh, any Melbourne-based folk that the, uh, the awesome podcast True Crime Island, hosted by uh, Cambo, having a little shindig at the Retreat Hotel in Brunswick from 4pm this coming Saturday, the 19th of October. So that's going to be awesome. The awesome Barney and Tara from the Bloody Murder podcast will be there, along with Steph from All the Shit I've Learned Abroad podcast. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun to catch up with them and any listeners who want to come down and say hi. The only sad thing is you can't come, Chloe. I know. Uh, You're you're, uh, you're busy. I know. I am. I am. I mean, it's foreshadowing future happy thoughts, but there's a lot of weddings happening in the next couple of months. So I am unfortunately already committed to that, but um, it will be awesome. And there might be a national tour, who knows, because people from WA and Adelaide have decided that they really want one. So um, if you guys fund it, sure. (laughs) (laughs) But we have some other exciting news in addition. Yes. So we have merch available. We have a website that has t-shirts and mugs on it. And it's really exciting. So our web address is www.truebluetruecrime.com and you can go buy stuff that has our stuff on it. Yeah, it looks really cool. They're good and they're awesome shirts. They're AS so comfy. Yep. AS colour shirts and the mugs are pretty cool too. We'll add new stuff, I think, as we go yeah. along. But for start for now and there's a little bit of info about us and some other graphics and pictures on there. So anyway, go and check it out. Yeah. And let us know what you think. And if you do wear them, make sure you tag us in your Instagram or social media photos. We'd love to see them out in the world doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 
And if you have any suggestions, feedback or questions, you can email us at truebluecrime at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, which is called True Blue True Crime Dash Podcast. And you can find us on Instagram by searching True Blue Crime. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. We'll be off on the main feed next week to focus on our monthly premium Blue Label episode, which is really exciting. We enjoy doing those episodes. So if you've heard about it and you're not sure what it's all about, make this week the week to check it out. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps us a lot and helps other people find the show as well. Shout out to John for the help with research and writing on this episode. That's it for us. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you all next time. Thanks. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.